Welcome to the Searching for Meaning podcast. My name is Gonzalo and I'm joined by my brother, Tiago. Greetings. And this is the first episode we do in front of each other, not of a computer. Bro. Yay. Uh, but without further ado, this week is book review and we're going to go over the much anticipated book by Mark Manson called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. And this is following his latest book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which I saw sold... 7.5 million copies, Amazing. which is ridiculous. Just to give you context, in the last 10 years, there have only been 10 books, I believe, that sold more than 10 million copies. That's fucking crazy. It. And I think, I don't know, it's thousands of books released each, like every year. Yeah, yeah. On the hundreds of, I don't know if hundreds of thousands, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, it must be a ridiculous number of books. And then, this. like, this guy from the internet is like, yeah. Yeah, and you would never <laughs> expect it to be something... So impactful because if if you see this blog and if yeah. you've known Mark Manson, like his style of writing is so, it's it's like so, it's not I wouldn't say vulgar but it's kind of what it's kind of what it is like it's normal everyday language it it's not like compl complicated so if you if you have read anything from Jordan Peterson you know it's a different kind of language it's it's good but it's more complex more formal yeah Mark Manson is kind of the opposite yeah it's like your average guy. The average Joe yeah. is like, I'm going to write a book. Yeah. It's like a, a smart average Joe in the way he speaks. Mm -hmm. yeah, totally and uh, like for me, I'm going to be honest, I didn't finish the book. I was very busy <laughs> this week. And my ideas are very scattered because I don't really remember. But I'm going to start with something I, that really stuck with me. From I think he also talked in the previous book, but he went more in depth in this one. Which is the idea of you have like two brains. The thinking brain, mm -hmm. which is the, the rational, the conscious one who tries to do the right decisions. And then like the emotional brain, which is the one who begs for ice cream and pizza when you shouldn't really be eating that. It's like the, the, the emotional brain is just, you know, when the, the feeling brain, let's call it. Yeah. Just, I feel like this, I want to do this. And most of us think like, oh no, my conscious brain is on charge. And then sometimes the feeling brain just kind of steps in. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it's, it's the opposite. It's like the conscious brain is just on the, on the um, passenger seat, just trying like, tell the, the feeling brain like hey can we slow down a bit maybe you know <laughs> eat some salad now yeah and an idea he gives is just to, to try and talk between each of the voices like not because what I, most of us do is you kind of try to suppress that like you feel like oh i want to eat pizza now and then you just tell yourself no no that's wrong to feel like that don't think that yeah and then what happens is you, it, you try to suppress and it just blows up and you eat pizza the whole day instead so what i notice is if i talk to that it's like Okay, feeling brain, you want some pizza. What about you eat some pizza now with some salad and you go to the gym? Is that okay? And what I'll notice most of the time is I say that and then I forget that I want pizza because you're like, yeah, I'm going to get pizza. Yeah. And even if I get it, you know, if I succumb to that, it's better because like, oh, okay, it's more healthy than if I were to try to suppress this and it's just going to blow up in my face and I'm going to mm -hmm. eat pizza and feel like shit. Yeah. I'm just going to go down a spiral. Yeah, and I think that way of thinking is... Is good because most people also, they also think that the thinking that the thinking brain is the one in control, which is wrong. It talks a lot about the idea that your feeling brain is really the thing that's in control, and then the thinking brain simply tries to justify the things that uh, the feeling brain thinks yeah. about. So you, if you're like, if you're like thinking, oh, I, I want to eat something that tastes good, then maybe your brain starts rationalizing why an ice cream would be good right yeah. now. And, so it's people who think it's the other way around that we think about ice cream and then our, our feelings pop up but it's actually the the opposite and because it's the opposite you can't just force your your thinking brain to overpower the feeling brain 
because it's just uh, it won't work. It's way stronger. It's a it's a way stronger. It has a way way more power over you, and that's yeah. why if you just try to say no, no, I'm gonna be hardcore and never eat bad stuff again in my entire life. But that's why it never works. People, who have, yeah. I mean, most people can't do that. We're obviously not talking about the extreme cases. The one that comes to mind is always David Goggins and people, yeah, people like that. But the average person can't do that just because it's too harsh. They, they're going from a complete opposite to another and it never works. So it's kind of the idea. He also preached it in the previous book. But it's just kind of having a balanced um, relationship with yourself and knowing when to push the gas and when to dial it back up. Yeah, exactly. And I also noticed this because I was reading another book, The 4-Hour Work Week, where he talks about that. From Tim Ferriss, he also has a, a TED Talk on this, which is an idea from Seneca, the Stoic, about yep. instead of trying to, you know, always be positive, always, like, almost trying to suppress that voice that tells you, like, maybe, what the fuck happens if this goes wrong? You'd be like, no, it's gonna go right, I'm super positive. If you actually, like, define your fears, you know, you listen to that voice that tells you, like, shit's gonna go wrong, and you're like, okay, what actually can go wrong? If... The one in a million chance happens that this goes wrong. What's that? And most of the time, you go through that and it's like, oh, it's not that bad. You know? You listen to that feeling of like, oh my god, shit's gonna go wrong. You listen to you, You actually talk to it. You're like, okay, let's define this. Feeling like, I'm scared. And then once you define it, you're like, okay, I'm not scared anymore. Maybe I still feel it, but I'm like, I can survive whatever happens. If that even happens. And then what usually happens is you get to the situation and it's like, oh, this is much easier. Then what the that worst case scenario? So it's also freeing in a way, the, like all these ideas. Because I, f I feel like in the self development world, a lot of it is also just you know, let's all be positive, yay, always forward. Yeah. But definitely. humans are not like that, you know. There's days where you lay in bed like I feel like shit today. Mm -hmm. oh, I should have gone to the gym. I didn't go. I should have done that. And you know what? That's okay. It's better to listen to that instead of being like, no, you stupid bitch. Tomorrow you're gonna go to. <laughs> yeah. Because then you're always feeling bad. And if you're always feeling bad, you're not going to repeat the habits that make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. So eventually, you're just not... You're just going to stop caring about the gym. You're like, eh, it's not me anymore. So I don't yeah. feel bad about it. Yeah, that's why I think Mark Manson itself and, and his books were so important for me. I, I was coming like from a... Not to, to obviously talk bad about Tony Robbins or anything like that. But I was coming from that Fuck field. you, Tony! <laughs> no, Tony is also... It's one of the biggest influences on me, but... The, his message, is, I think, is a bit different from Mark Manson's message. Yeah. The, old, the, entire, the books I was reading before reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck were really oriented towards, like, really... Uh, they never talked about the idea of when you feel bad. They were all geared around not making you feel bad and ways yeah. of you not feeling bad, which I, kind of, I think it was kind of a downfall of them because it's a big part of human nature, feeling bad. Yep. People will feel pain and no one addressed pain so every time I had a bad day before reading this book I was like what am I doing wrong I'm <laughs> yeah. doing everything right yeah. and I'm still feeling bad what the fuck so I, I'd get frustrated and eventually just give up on some habits because I was still feeling bad yeah. and once I actually wrote uh, like read this book and the and he said it's okay to feel bad and you will feel bad sometimes and that's part of progress I was like whoa yeah it's okay now it makes sense now I can feel bad it's just it's just a part of, of being human, and that's an idea he also talks about a lot about in the book, is that pain is not, it's not something bad, it's something that it, it guides you in a kind of way, and we shouldn't look at it as a bad thing, trying to avoid pain. He actually talks a lot about using pain as a guiding principle, and how pain can, can teach you many lessons, and just a bit to get like jumping into the book. So the first chapter is, he calls it The Uncomfortable Truth 
which is the the thing I think he bases the whole book around of, which yeah. is the the basic idea. I'll read the part of the um, the quote so you actually get it. But basically, it's the idea we all have in the back of our minds and we're always trying to avoid. It's how he describes it. So I'll read a bit of this chapter. If I worked at Starbucks, instead of writing people's names on their coffee cup, I'd write the following. One day you and everyone you love will die, and beyond a small group of people for an extremely brief period of time, little of what you say or do will ever matter. This is the uncomfortable truth of life. And everything you think or do is but an elaborate avoidance of it. We are inconsequential cosmic dust bumping and milling about on a tiny blue speck. We imagine our own importance, we vent our purpose, we are nothing. Enjoy your fucking coffee. So... At first glance, you may see this quote and like, what? What is this? Is this a self help book? <laughs> yeah. Does he just want to be me to be depressed? Is he a nihilist? And, but then he explains it, which and it's a for me, it's one of the most effective explanations on this kind of thing of finding your purpose and do, does life have a meaning or not? The way he talks about it is, no, life doesn't have an inherent meaning, yeah. but because nothing, actually has meaning, that doesn't mean you. So it can go both ways. You can feel sad and depressed about that and don't, not do anything productive because nothing has meaning. Or you can do the opposite. You can do, you can do good stuff because you get to decide the meaning you give to things. Because yeah. if there's no inherent meaning, then we all get to build our meaning. Because as humans, we need something. We need to believe in something. It's also a concept he talks about in the book. We need to have faith in something. And so might as well have faith in something that will make us better in this kind of... Um, it's it's better in the sense that we judge it to be better, but yeah. however, it's better to, to however, be like, like that. in this. I feel like once you know you really, you know, have this the moment it clicks in your head, it's yeah. it is a bit depressing because you know that all the meaning you're giving is inherent to yourself. It, it's not re- kind of real, quote unquote. You know, it's it's it means something to you. Like when you let's say you are do a charitable job, you know, have an organization, you help other people. Yeah, it has meaning, but only to you. Like. I don't give a shit about that. Yeah. About your life. And you, you'll see, like, he talks about this too. Whenever people have crisis, they feel like they're lost. It's because they lost that hope. They lost the hope in something better in the future. Of hope that mm-hmm. what they are doing actually means something. Jordan Peterson also talks a lot about this. And um, I feel like one of the main reasons why, for example, 12 Rules for Life was, like, a number one, number two bestseller last year. Every, um, the Subtle Art of Not Even a Fuck was number two. And they essentially, like, he also talked a lot about this in the previous book. Yeah. So, I feel like nowadays, because we have no problems, like real problems, you're not dying of hunger, of thirst, there's no, like, black plague, there's nothing like that. Before, that was the meaning for people's life, was to survive that shit. And that gave you meaning. You know, if you could get bread one more day, it was like, fuck yes, I survive. And when you wake up, that's the meaning, get more food. But once all that's taken care of, then you actually need to give it, you need to create that meaning. Yeah. You're not dying of you know, any basic need, then what? Like, when you create a company, that's essentially it. It's someone creating meaning for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, the money that will come, the fame, the respect. It's just a gateway to feeling like it matters. Like, it actually represents something of value. Yeah. Cause, and when people lose that, he gives the example of a guy who, you know, he had a, a huge, like, cancer in his brain, like, the size of a ping-pong ball or something, and he took it out. And he was like super successful, loved his family, everyone liked him. When, it, when he took it out, you know, he recovered. It seemed normal, but he started doing like weird decisions. Like instead of going to an important meeting, he went to buy like a stapler and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And when asked, he was like, yeah, that was dumb, but I don't know, I just did it. And so he went to a psychologist and he, the guy decided to see. 
Okay, his IQ, his intelligence is fine. What about his emotions? So he showed him like images of tortured people, shit like that. And he had no emotional reaction. He was even yeah. scared. The, the, the guy was like, what the fuck? I don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And so he couldn't feel anything anymore because of that surgery. And what happens is, if you don't have that emotion guiding you, pain sometimes, pleasure sometimes, then nothing has really any meaning. Like his life is meaningless. Because he doesn't feel anything when he, when he goes to see his daughter at his her wedding. He doesn't feel anything. Yeah. It's like everything is the same. Buying a stapler is the same as seeing someone dying. Yeah, and I would argue that at the beginning he, did the, he still did the productive things out of an habit. So yeah. He had the, that, but there was no emotion. He just did things because of an habit. And what you see as he progressed through, through his disease, he started doing nothing. And he talks about the, his case because he had no emotion, basically. This is where he talks about the thinking brain and the feeling brain. Yeah. And basically relates it that sometimes we feel that our emotions are holding us back, but it's the opposite. They are the only thing that makes us do anything. So this guy, after a while, he just spent all, the, all, all his day in the couch watching TV because he, he had no emotions driving him to do things. Yep. So he just did what... what so he could also... He, I, he, I think he could still feel pleasure in the moment. It's like an animal. He can still feel pleasure and pain, but he can't associate any idea to it. Yeah. I think this was the state that he was in. He couldn't associate emotion, but he could feel it. So he would do what provided immediate pleasure, which is kind of TV and eating food yep. at the couch. But this, this was a really good way of showing that we... And during a, like a lot of time, we, we were thinking that emotions are bad and that the, the thinking brain should govern everything we do to be more productive, yeah. to be more logical. But that's, where we, that's also where I, I think I failed to realize that for a long time. And that's why it was really, really complicated to change for a, a lot of time for me because I had that fixed idea of I must be logical all the time. But yeah. it's just not possible. You have emotions and the best way to, to really try to effectuate change and improvement is to address them. You don't, yeah. you can't just ignore them and just power through it. That's my, some people can do it, but only for a short period yeah, exactly. of time. Yeah, exactly. Not forever. And it's that, not, that shit will catch yeah. up to you. And we, we talked about it. It's not clean fuel. You, you start developing some, some emotional dark patterns over it. And like because, anxiety and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, and you start using like anger, anger to fuel you. That's what I did for a, a lot of time. And yeah. what eventually you get things done but you don't even feel good because yeah. there's no like why yeah. why am i doing this that's when you see like i feel like the classic example the 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 guy from new york like broke or shit like that that hates his job and doesn't even know why he's doing it anymore it's just because that like he he fell into that habit and he always thinks like no once i get like and then you you found found that to the terrible habit of thinking that once you get that then you'll feel happy you know mm -hmm. like and that's one of those things, if you actually stop to think and imagine yourself, because we can do this, you can imagine like, okay, I'm super rich, I'm retired, am I really happy, if, if I'm not happy now, am I, like, once that a moment happens, am I really going to be happy? Yeah. Like, maybe for, for a, a week, but once the, you know, the, that immediate gratification runs over, you're like, huh, I feel exactly the same. Yeah. That's why you see so many, you know, lottery winners, even guys who, like, sell their companies, become, like, super rich millionaires from one day to the other. They're like, I hate my life more than before. Because before they had the hope, the faith that once they got there, shit would be amazing. Mm -hmm. But once they get there and shit is not as amazing, then what now? That's when people kill themselves. It's like, what yeah. now? I have, I have the thing I thought would make my life complete. Mm. The, like the guy who retires and he's like, oh, I can relax now. After one week, I fucking hate this. Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah, that's where the, the mental world collapses. Because yeah. the idea you clinged on to for the entirety of your life really... 
falls down, yeah. and so people break down. But and that's also what it talks about a lot in the book. So it's the title is everything is fucked. A book about hope, yeah. and that's what it talks a lot about in the book. Hope. He he talks about hope in a different way that I've never seen anyone talk about it, which is kind of a. It's uh he talks about it in a negative way, as in hope is the thing that has made us. Uh, humans do the, the worst things so for example if you, uh, Hitler Hitler hoped for a, a perfect future where the superior race would govern the, yep. the, the, the world and that's obvious what it you led saw to what yeah it's Stalin the same thing you want, it's always hoping for an utopia that gets us to the bad things because uh, uh, when we hope, when we want something when we hope for some, a, a perfect scenario we are willing to give anything for that yep. and it's in that willingness to let up on our, on our values on using people as means to an end, like he talks about it yep. afterwards in the book. That's what gets us into trouble. And so he makes a it's a it's a good point in the book, which is like which is he talks about a future with no hope, where people wouldn't hope for things. They would just do things. Yep. So you wouldn't hope for better. That's a really good quote he uses. You would be better. Yeah. And that's a really the thing that lacks. And I think that's where the the self help world really gets focused on it's achieving goals getting to the millionaire uh, standard being successful but uh, not being successful but achieving success but no one talks about the being yep. that gets you there no one talks about the journey they all talk about the results which are important to guide you but at the end of the day if you aren't enjoying the ride you have to think you have to think why do you do stuff yep you want to feel better that's the basic principle of yeah. humanity and if you're just not liking things to get to a point then you're just not enjoying life? Yeah, because it's very it's very easy to, you know, once you get into that mindset of, like, goals and everything, to feel bad when you're not even achieving them. Let's say you're, I'm going to build my company, sell this shit, you're working, like, 12-hour days that sometimes are needed to get those, achieve those goals. But then, let's say, you want to go out with your friends one day and just, like, I don't know, play bowling or some shit. Yeah. Which would probably help you, you know, be more in successful on the inside, feel more complete, which would make it easy to make hard decisions on your business. But you're like, no, I can't, I must continue, da 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 And, and then it's always that fucking spiral. It, it always ends super poorly. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then you're going to stop doing it eventually. Either you have like a super strong, you know, group of people who also do it and you're accountable. But then you also start to think like, why the fuck am I doing this? I hate it. Yeah. If you hate to go to the gym, you know, for example, at the beginning it's normal because it hurts and, you know, mm-hmm. very uncomfortable and all that. But if you don't get used to liking it, something, uh, no, new personal records, shit like that, yeah. you're going to give up. It's like, I think the gym, you know, turnaround rate's like 80% or something. That mm-hmm. people that start and get out. Yeah. There are yeah. always new people coming in because mm-hmm. of that. Because the, there's very few people who actually learn to enjoy it. Yeah. And you see, for, in this example, you see, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger. When he talked about going to the gym, it's yeah. like, he said like he's having an orgasm, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And you see most people who do things for a long period of time, it's because of that. We always want to have this idea that, like, I grinded through it, I fucking... Yeah. No, even the guys who talk like that, like David Goggins and Jocko, they fucking love that. Yeah, they love the pain. They love the, the, the army, they love the, all the yeah. good and the bad. Uh-huh. They, they like that. Yeah, and the, that can be confusing at first glance, but once yeah. you realize that what they... Uh, they like the pain, that's what they like. But yeah. the key word is like. There's also a very famous quote from... Muhammad Ali, which is saying, I hated every minute of training, but I liked fighting. Yeah. And you think about that, man, did he hate every minute of training? It was really hard for them. No, no he didn't hate. Yeah, That's an, obviously an exaggeration. Like, if he was the, one of the best boxers ever and he was the world champion and 
he couldn't hate the, the, the training itself. That's what yeah. I'd say the, the, the part most guys love more in, in, in boxing. But I think it was kind of an exaggeration to say just... I mean, once we achieve success, we always want to exaggerate the way we got yeah, there. I, I, like I don't think it's, it's like that. that. That's why I also think having no idols is a good thing in life. Because if you just get caught up in idealizing what every like, yeah. guy says, you can get a, a bit lost. But going back to the to the main point, I think this concept of not hoping and it, it can be it can seem difficult at the beginning, but I think rephrased in another way, which is a something the Stoics talked about a lot, which is amor fati. Maybe it's um, a a more easy way to understand. I'll read a quote right now to to let know what it is. So this was said by Nietzsche. My formula for greatness in human being is amor fati. That one thing. The, the, that one wants nothing to be different, not forward, not backward, not in all eternity, not merely bear what is necessary, still less conceal it. All idealism is mendacity in the face of what is necessary, but love it. And this is the, I think the basic, I think this would be the, the, the argument of the book, which is, it, which is to love what is already, yeah. not hope for better, but face what you have right now, love it, and then try to be better than that. Yeah. Which is a it's a different it's a, a really different way of thinking about things in the self help world. Most people don't think about it. Yeah. You have that mentality of like oh, my life my life sucks right now, so I'll I'll do something to change it and be a yeah. different person. But no one actually that's like the the fake it till you make it kind of attitude, which it doesn't I, work. Yeah, I don't think it works. It's it can't work because um, you can't fake you can't improve on something that isn't there. You yeah. must first acknowledge that there is that you, you you must first start at some point. You must admit, okay, I'm bad at this thing, and then start from there and be better. You can't just say I'm one thing right now, and I'll I'll get myself to a different point and be a different person. Yeah, because like the fake it till you make it. The example it's the TED talk she gives is like, yeah, you go on stage and you fucking f you fake your confidence and that works. No, like I I don't think that works because yeah. your body will betray you. Like your face will start to twitch, your hands will start to shake. For most people, that shit won't work. The guy who's confident is confident, and I, I believe this, and I don't feel like a lot of people talk about this. Confidence comes with competence. When you become more competent in shit, like for example, you go to the gym, like now you, Tiago, you go more. When you go lift, you deadlift 100 kilograms, you are confident that you can do it because you've done it before. Yeah. Because you have the, the proof to your brain, to your body, that you can do it. Now, if you tell to a fucking guy who just started, you can do it, bro, just believe. No! Yeah. It's not like that. It's and this idea that oh, if you go to a, a stage with ten thousand people, if you're just confident, you'll do it. The way you get confident is the way Tony Robbins got confident. You did yeah. three of those per day until it's just normal. I think it's the, the it's, thing we talk a lot about, which is the the when people say, oh, I, I could have done that. I I could have had I I had. I could have had that idea, I just yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. But then you say that, and like, doing it is the entire Absolutely. part of life. And when people say, you just have to be confident. Okay, but... How do you be confident? Yeah, you... but just being confident is... It, that's why people value it. You need it the reason because, to be confident. Yeah, you need, the, you need the reason, and you actually need to be confident. And you can't just pop up confidence yeah, out of nowhere. I feel like the problem is people who have that competence, and then they can't be confident. Like a guy who's like, I know yeah. all about this. But when they have to tell someone about it, they're like, oh, I don't really know. Yeah. I feel in that case... I don't case, think that actually happens a lot. I, I don't feel yeah. either. I feel like I'm probably more in women. Yeah. But there maybe you... But it's not faking because it's a different skill. Mm -hmm. it's, it's learning a different skill. It's learning the skill of, yeah. you know, being assertive, being more confident. But it's not... 
you know, it's not doing the Superman pose for one minute and then yeah. your your hormones like put you in. Yeah, it's that's why the when it's people, not like when that. you see those videos of like small confident acts for shy people, yeah. more confidence. I mean, those work as a supplement to to what you should it's be like doing. It's like a supplement yeah. to the gym. Yeah, 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 it's. I think it's the exact thing. Like, so if you were to go to a gym which a lot of people do, and that's a whole other thing, but <laughs> if you would like to go to the gym and just buy all the supplements and thinking that they would give you the gains that you're after, that's yeah. how it works. You must first get your food and your exercising and your sleep. Those are the big rocks. You get that right, and then maybe, if you want to, if you have money to spare, you go to the supplements. It's the same thing with confidence. Yeah. If you want to develop confidence in a certain area, you first put in the work in that area. Yeah. And then if you still feel that you could improve on some communication skills, that's where you, you go to supplement with some videos of those acts. But even the acts are not the, the meat and potatoes of the thing, you know? Yeah, there's it's supplements. It's like the yeah. sauce on top. And yeah, with those, they're very popular because they give you a sense that can be achieved fast. And mm-hmm. we, we never want to, to... We want it now. Like, you don't want to be confident in two years. You want to be fucking confident now because you hate your social skills. Yeah. But it's not how that works. Because people see through that shit. You see when somebody's trying to fake being confident and using this act like, yeah, I'm paying attention to you. Yeah, I'm putting your... <laughs> like, you, you notice that. Yeah. And it makes it even worse because, like, this fucker is faking it. Yeah. At least assume, like, it's... You will like much more a person who's a bit nervous and they'll tell you, oh, dude, I'm a bit nervous, but, you know? Like, if, if a guy is famous and somebody comes up to him, like, trying to be... You know, I really like the movie, but he's like shaking through his hands and twitching all over his face, super nervous. He's like, dude, you're faking. Yeah. Yeah. But if a guy comes up, he's like, oh my God, Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm super nervous. I love your movies, but it's a pleasure to meet you. He's like, it is real at least. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. And, but we never want that. We want, no, I want to fake be confident. I want to be confident yeah. now. Doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah, I think being Doesn't fake... Doesn't work like that. Being fake in general will never get you nowhere. And this is, we were talking about this before on how I think the most genuine people are the ones that are getting success and you're only seeing it now because it takes time yeah being genuine will take you more time than being fake but what it will give you is i think at the end a bigger following a more loyal following that actually cares about you and you can do it over time yeah it's yeah and you are you're not you don't have this pressure of like oh my god like you see a lot of coaches for example they were doing like e-commerce first because it was popular and then they switched to bitcoin and then to weed startups it's like, they, they're just selling. And when yeah. you see those guys that are just selling, you're like, he's just selling. Yeah, he doesn't have any emotion yeah. behind it. He's not a test to a product. And exactly. people, people want, real. want that you... Yeah, they, they want real. And you have to have a meaning to, to, like, to pass that idea of realness to people. Yeah. People don't just want you to not be attached to any product that you're selling them. People always want to have the idea that there's a meaning behind yeah. the product that they're buying, I'd yeah. say. I feel like the example... I think we could close this chapter out with that. For yeah. example, Jordan Peterson... He had a Patreon where he offered nothing. There was no special episode. There was mm-hmm. no special anything. He offered nothing. He had a hundred... I think it was... He made a hundred K off of that per month. Yeah. It's Not crazy. offering... People just supporting them. But then you know he's real because he got censored by Patreon. You know, a hundred fucking K a month. What would anyone do? Just keep it. Whatever. I got censored. He was like, I'm going to shut this down. They don't support my ideas. I'm not... It's not the money. Yeah. I want to share my ideas. You can support me on my website. So he basically shut down 100k a month of pure revenue, pure profit, yeah. because it didn't go with his ideas of freedom, freedom of speech. The thing right. he was willing to go to jail for, and he proved it. That's how you prove it. And people, when people see that, you're like, yes, this yeah. is it. So what, he, lives a, like, he lives by his sword, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. you know, it's...
Yeah, yeah. We want people that live by li- live by their words. That's yeah. why we're we're always searching. That's why we value so much honest people. And if we notice, like the insults we have for dishonest people, like two faced. Yeah. It's really strong things. Because and it makes sense. Like going back, we I think we talked a lot about this, but evolutionarily speaking, it's like if you were in a tribe and you were lying about things, you were putting other people in risk. So I think as humans, we evolutionary evolved to despise that trait lying yeah. because it puts you at risk so now i think we still have that we still visualize it as this guy is putting me at risk by not telling me the truth and so that's why we value it so much but that's just like a, a side note but it, it's still interesting how i think now more and more we are seeing the rise of of genuine people yep. with jordan peterson we see the pewdiepie I think was one of, also one of the yeah. In a different that's field. probably one of the biggest examples. Yeah. That's I think that's the, the the number one trait that actually gets him got him to number one is that he kept genuinity. And in general, I think across all things, you will see in the next year. This is my this is my prediction that I think the more genuine people are, the more they will grow as a, a yeah, company business person. But moving on to the next chapter chapter, so this is uh, we're kind of going all over the place, but in this one. He speaks about, uh, he talks all about the philosopher Kant, mm-hmm. and he's talking about the concept of basically using, not using people as means to an end. And I think this book was also very, it was very different than the first one, because it wasn't just a self-help book. I yeah. think... It's like it, a psychology book. Yeah, it's, a, it's also a psychology book, and that's why it interested me so much. I've all, always been interested in psychology, and I know, I know a lot of these concepts just because I've read a lot of books also recommended by Mark Manson in, in his yeah. blog. So I'm kind of in, in tune with this. And it was really good because he explained it in such a simple way. I think most people can get it. But these are really concept, uh, like complicated concepts if you try to go back to the books. So that's also, a, like I think, a, a, a tribute of how good he is, uh, mm. like passing ideas. But this is one of the, the, the most important ones, let's say, to society in general. With the idea of treating, never treating people as means to an end. And we, we've talked about it before, but that's what leads us to the worst things in humanity, the Holocaust. Hitler, Hitler was using people as, a mean, like people as a means to arrive at this perfect utopia. Yeah, the same thing with communism. All the, the, the worst things in history happened because humans broke this rule. They started using other people as means to get to an end. Yeah. And, and we, we, applying this to your own life, I, I feel if you were, were to live by this rule of never using people as means... And you could also get it's all, it's very impactful because we we do it all the time in in small things we do we want to be friends with that people with that person because it will he's connected to someone else we yeah. want to lie because it's easier than just telling the truth that's a big one but when you lie you are using someone as a means to an end the end maybe I want to lie because I don't want to to have to explain explain the truth to this person and yeah. and make them feel bad and by consequence make me feel bad. So you're using someone as a means to making you not feel bad. Yeah, you're compromising like your values pretty much or the values yeah, you kind of exactly. should have. And he talks about, and that's what kind of being or becoming an adult is. You know, he talks like when you're a baby, it's like uh, action for pleasure. Like I grab ice cream, ice yeah. cream is good, whatever. When you become a teenager, it's more of that like Everything is a means to some end, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to eat the ice cream because my parents get upset and I don't want to do it. I will like that person because it will give me this. And then, once, you're, like, once you transition to adulthood, it's more like, I'll do this because it's the right thing. Yeah. You're not thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this because... Yeah. Da, da, da. It's like, I won't lie because it's the right thing to yeah. do. There's just principles in the nation. Yeah. There's no, not principle 
the reward and then action, the reward in your mind at least. Uh, and that's and it talks he argues in the book that not many people reach that that actual state of of adulthood. Yeah. And if you if you were to see most people, that's kind of true. We we always do things because they will give us something in return. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it's easier for us to just close an eye and do something because maybe it will bring you more money. Maybe it's going to be easy, a bit a easier way to get something done. Maybe it's cheating in a test, cheating in a relationship, whatever yeah. it may be. That's but it, it, the principle is always the same you're using someone as a means to an end and just avoiding that I think it, it's just kind of the people always think in this kind of grandiose way that to change the world you need a big mass movement some yeah. mass ideology or religion that will change everything but we've seen in the past that that hasn't worked like all those massive religions and things they, they have they, of course they have, they have impact on history but they weren't created like this it was very various people just various people just like implementing it slowly and slowly creating yeah, it. Yeah, and if you see like for example, taking the Jesus Christ example. Yeah. Like it took what did it took everything. It's like the meme. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it took everything. Yeah, it's because that's it. Because he lived or supposedly by what he believed in, died in the cross for what he believed in. You yeah. Know? He could have escaped. He could have, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And it's those people, and that's you know. Authenticity. That's what we're drawn to. Yeah. That's what people who live, like they they talk the talk, they walk the walk. Yeah. That's it. And it's I feel like nowadays since everything is more accessible, it's easier to you know, to cheat on everything. It's easier to you know I'll just go there. I you know I sold some shit online that was crappy. Ah, whatever. Yeah. I made my money. Delete the email. Whatever. But the the pattern there is that those things never last. So you see, yep. genuinity is the one. Like Jesus, how long ago was he alive? Yeah. Uh, Millennium. He's the most famous person of all time. Yeah, much. exactly. Because yeah. and why? Because he was genuine. Literally, he died for what he believed in. Yep. And that's the thing we admire most is all throughout history. Marcus Aurelius, all those. Yeah, when you people, see those people. Yeah, when you see them live by how they, they, they preach. That's what you you are attracted to, and that's what it takes. Sometimes, like. This is a, a personal thing, but when I first started the, the whole self-help thing, self-improvement journey, I was like, at the beginning, I was like, man, okay, so I'm, I'm doing this. I feel much better. I'll try to get some of my friends to do it. It's yeah. like, and I was just like with my friends, hey, you should read this book. It's really good. You, you get some, like uh, talking about self-help. And at first they were like, what? What's that? Just come play video games with us, which is what I did a lot yeah. of the time. And I, at the beginning, I was like, man, fuck. Why do, <laughs> why do these guys not want yeah. to be better? Like I'm here, I'm doing better. Why don't they want? And then I realized, like, th- in their minds, they they don't believe it. It's it's yes. crazy for them. Just like for me before, it was like, there wasn't even in my mind the concept of being better. I I, I didn't think it was something possible. Yeah. I think you were what you were, and then with luck you could get to different places. But I didn't actually believe in the capability of changing. So I was like trying to tell the, the entire world, oh, you should be better. You should do these habits, and people don't care about that. People care about action and. For me, if I want to change the per- the people around me, I just have to do things in a better way, and yeah. eventually, hopefully, those people will either uh, follow what I do or live my life. Either yeah. way, it's a it's it's a win for me. And but that's how I, you actually change the world. And I'll read a, a quote right now from the book, um, relating this. This is how you change the world, not through some all encompassing ideology or mass religious conversion or misplaced dreams of, of the future. But by achieving the maturation and dignity of each individual in the present, here and now. And that's really what it takes if you want to change the world. It's everyone 
with some kind of maturity in them says the same thing Jordan Peterson clean your room before you try to change the world yeah. it's the same thing you, you have to fight your battles and when people see you fighting those battles they get inspired and they go fight their own yep. and that's how you change and then like things. when you win those battles that's when you talk about them you're not mm-hmm. you know when you see like Jocko David Goggins even Gary Vee like anyone they only started talking once they actually did the you know yeah. the hard thing once they pushed the rock up the mountain Like, Jordan Peterson, he was a clinical psychologist for, I don't know, 20-something years, dealing with that shit in person. Yeah. And you see that when he goes to an interview, he's sharp. He's, like, everything they ask is, like, this deconstruct, answer, I know everything about this. Mm-hmm. Jocko, David Goggins, when they talk about the thing that they, you know, they, people want to hear them for, it's always like that. It's, going a bit back to the confidence thing, it comes with experience. And, you know, that takes you being unexperienced at first. Not faking yeah. it, not going like, yes, I'm the boss. It's just, okay, I want to become very good at, let's say, business. Well, build your business, do that. And then maybe after you can go give talks about it. Yeah. But it, it, it will never be that, it can't be that the goal. Mm-hmm. The goal for Jordan Peterson was like, yeah, one day I'm going to write this book and I'm going to travel the world. No, he was just like, I want to help these people. Yeah. I want to teach these things. Yeah. David Goggins, I want to become better myself first. And then he went, and if you read the book, he toured the United States, talking to other students and all that. But he was, it was not, never from like this, oh, I'm better than you. He went on runs with them. He was like, everyone wants to run with me tomorrow morning here. And he would go do that. He would, you know, same thing, even for example, a good example of Joko. You see like super disciplined, all this, all is going. But one time I saw you, he, like he ate a chocolate cookie or something. <laughs> and he posted about it. He was like, so guys, I failed yesterday. There was a plate with cookies, and I ate, like, I saw one and I ate one. But then I was like, you know, fuck it. I just ate nine of them. Let's get some. But it's, it's always real, you know? Yeah. He's not putting that fake persona of, like, I always do this. But no, he's, he's real. And that is not to, you know, talk too much about this. But human beings are super drawn to this. We're drawn to realness. Mm-hmm. So when the person talks, he doesn't look away, and you see he's being real. Yeah. And it's in all the those cases, important. like, people sometimes forget that... People don't start with the, the grandiose goal in mind. People start with the small goal. Like, yeah. even... It's funny, like, sometimes when people get famous, they start about, like, ah, oh, from the beginning, I always do this. Uh, bullshit! Yeah. You didn't! You didn't think, like... You think... You think Steve Jobs, when he was in his basement creating, like, a shitty laptop, he was thinking he was going to be... He's going to have the biggest company in the world? He no. wasn't even thinking. He was yeah. just like, I'm gonna build... He was just, he was just doing. building. He was building. Yeah, he was doing. That's the thing. He was in the process. He enjoyed the process. Same thing with Bill Gates. All those... Amazing companies. They didn't start with the goal of becoming like yeah. Coca-Cola. It was just a guy trying to sell a recipe he found. The same thing yeah. with Kentucky Fried Chicken. I saw the other day, like, uh, the Nike, the guy who created Nike. Yeah. He started because he saw the, as I think it was ASIC's shoes. They already existed. He ordered some from Japan with yeah. $50 he borrowed from his father. And he started selling them off the back of his car. <laughs> you think it was like, yeah, then I'm going to build. No, it was like, oh, this is a good idea. Let's start. And I was like, oh, I can go my own shoes. Yeah. And then that shit, you know, expands because it was good and he had this the entrepreneurial skill to do it. Yeah. But he was not thinking like, yeah, and this, and then one day I'm going to write this biography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gonna... No, it, it, it isn't like that. And when people are like that, you can see right through them. Yeah. You can see, like, when you see, you know, like a Ty Lopez ad that maybe he's not trying, he's not selling this ad, but you know what the fuck he's doing? He's going to sell you some course at the end. Yeah. Not saying the course is bad, but you know what the fuck's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he's... He's and doing it through a way... It would be better if you just says, guys, I'm trying to sell your course and then go on to... 
Like, yeah. make it extremely obvious that it's a mar- marketing thing. I think that's the new way of kind of doing marketing. You make it extremely obvious that you are trying to sell something. And then, I think people just... When the, if I were to hear that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you've admitted it. Now I can listen Jordan to Jordan Peterson does that. He's like, yeah, I'm a dirty capitalist, like joking. And then he has yeah. like these shirts with lobster and shit. But he's like, yeah, because I like money. Because I like to, I also like money. Uh-huh. But it's just yeah. admitting it. Not trying yeah. to do the whole thing of, I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying, this is for your own good. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it may be for my own good. <laughs> yeah, but, but admit it. You, this you're a person. You need, yeah. the, you need some money to live. I understand that. I don't. I don't yeah. expect you to do everything for free. I'm not one of those guys that said, oh, you, well, if you're preaching this, why don't you just give it for free? Yeah. No, we know we live in a real world. People need to make a yeah. living. And, but admit that. Admit that you need to make a living. And then things just kind of go way better from there. Yeah, exactly. So I think but we can close this idea. Moving on. Moving on to... This is one I want to talk a lot about. I think you didn't get to this part. but So the concept he talks about is... This is where he really delves into pain. And the subject of pain. And he talks about a really cool experience. He calls it the blue dot experience. Oh, no, I didn't experience. Like yeah, yeah, I think we didn't went into into this one. But basically, yeah, I'll just describe the experience uh, briefly. They have um, some subjects look at a, t- a thousand dots, and when they ha- they had to look at the dots and uh, name their color. So there they were fl- they were flashing blue dots and then purple dots. Okay. And so for a certain amount of time, they flashed a certain number of blue dots. Let's say 50 blue dots and then only 25 purple dots. Mm-hmm. So people expected more blue dots than purple dots. Okay. But then slowly, like gradually, they changed the percentage of blue dots to purple dots. Mm-hmm. But people, because they were expecting the blue dots, they started perceiving purple as blue. Whoa. So the, the color of the dots changed, but people still named it blue. And, okay, at first you can just look at this and be like, okay, what, what does that matter? Because we, as humans, when we expect something, you, you, would, you would think that it, it was the opposite way around. Our, perce- our mind adapts to our perception. But what this experience shows is the opposite. Our perceptions adapt to what our mind wants to see. This is, so basically, it's when you, let's say this is a very common thing. When you, imagine you buy a Tesla. And normally you don't, no, not, not a Tesla, it doesn't work, but imagine you buy a, a normal car, but now it's your car. It, it's a normal car that like, most people have it. Like a but, Ford. Yeah, yeah, but before having it, you didn't notice it because you just had no referee, you had no interest in it. But once you buy it, you notice every, every Ford that passes you yeah. because you have one now. And, but the number of Fords in the world didn't increase. It's just, <laughs> you, your mind is now looking for it. It's the same thing here. And why is this... Why is this important? Why, why does this actually matter in, in, uh, for people? And the, the thing it matters is because people start perceiving the world in a faulty way. They start perceiving the world the, the way their mind wants to. This yeah, is why yeah. most people think the world is bad right now when it's the better it, it has ever been. So maybe it was bad at some point, but then because, just because they got used to that, they don't want to believe that things are getting better. And also yeah. because media just keeps on showing all of the bad things. Yep. And so because of this... People adapt their reality to what their mind wants them to be. So the reality is that we have the lowest poverty ever. Lowest, in, uh, like, people are never, never have died less of hunger than they are dying now. All of the diseases, everything, everything is mes- better by every measurable standard. But people think it's worse. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about how, how we visualize, how we imagine this world. We think it's something, we, are, we, we see it as a, a perfectly precise image but it's not we are heavily influenced by our mind yep no absolutely and you see there's even this experiment where they you know 
there's people throwing a ball around and you you're, you said like okay count how many times the people dressed in white pass the ball around and then mm -hmm. a gorilla passes in front like I, I think it's like 80% of the people don't notice a guy dressed as a gorilla walking in front yeah. because your mind was not looking for it the same thing with the car and I feel like this also applies with opportunities in, opportunities in life you know if your brain is just telling you everything is bad or poor us we, we're no, not lucky even if an opportunity of like a good job a good business would come up you, you wouldn't see it mm -hmm. you'd see it and be like oh no oh you'd justify it in some way like the the guys who saw blue or saw purple said it was blue yeah it's the same thing and in my opinion one of the biggest kind of struggles to self-improve is kind of that is changing mm -hmm. what you're expecting from the world yeah and this you know once again takes time you can't fake it you can't wake up tomorrow if you're super negative now and be like Ah, the world is gonna be great today. Yeah. No, your brain is like, oh god, and then I'm not gonna have a parking spot, and then that shit, and that shit. Right, yeah, I think with that, it, it's just starting it requires with some good time. Practices. And also, you know, going into the X, just hang around people who are more like that. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be hard at first because you're not like them, and they're not gonna probably like yeah. you. You're like, what the fuck is this negative guy? Yeah. But more and more, if you, you really want to make that change and you engage with more positive content, hang out with more positive people, if more positive is what you want, then you will become it. Mm -hmm. Because your brain now, you know, start to perceive things as more positive because that's all you see around you. Yeah, and the way you get there is not by, like, making an overnight change. It's actually just, it's habits. We talked about, like, yeah. last, week, last week or two weeks ago on the, the, yeah, the atomic habits. And it's that. You, you, you make those changes. You don't go from a negative person to a positive person in, in one day. No. Maybe it's... It's starting some small habits. Maybe it's every day complimenting a person. And then gradually you see how good that makes you feel. And yeah. so you start feeling better about the world. And then eventually, by feeling better, you attract people that also feel better about the world. And then suddenly, it's a, it's a positive feedback loop, I'd say. You keep getting better and better. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes... It's like... It ta yeah, it's, your habits make you who you are. So you can't just become something that... If you have no foundation for it. You yeah. have to do actions and then you, you actually become it. And... But I'll just read a bit of the book mm -hmm, now sure. relating to the, to this, he calls it the blue dot effect. And he explains it a bit, a, a bit here. Uh, the blue dot effect suggests that, essentially, the more we look for threats, the more we will see them, regardless of how safe or comfortable our environment actually is. And we see this, we see this playing out in the world today. It used to be that being the victim of violence meant something that physically harmed you. Today, many people have begun to use the word violence to describe words that make them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So you see this... How, how things have kind of degenerated to... So the, the better things get, the more we try to find reasons for how bad they are because yep. we were used to things being bad. Somehow yep. we still want them to be bad, so we just exaggerated. Now, like you said, violence used to be punching someone. Now it's kind of like saying a bad word that offends them. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Uh, it's, it's a strange thing. So basically he resumes, that. He resumes it by, by saying, the better things get, the more we perceive threats where there are none. And the more upset we become... And it is at the heart of the paradox of progress. So it's that's the the thing. The the more the better. So that's the, also the idea of the book. You will never get to a perfect place, yeah. because humans are machines at finding things to be to be wrong. Yeah, that's where we find this, our meaning. It's yeah, by solving shit. Exactly. This is why people now are are, are so appalled or, or disgusted by when something happens. Like when when you see examples of racism today, there's still some slave. There's still slavery in a country in Africa, and people are so disgusted by it now, which is a good thing that they are, but before they weren't. So yep. many years ago, it was a totally normal thing, and it wasn't a problem back then. But now it, it is a problem, and, but it's, the thing is, it's still a problem. 
Yeah. And it will never stop being a problem. We will always have problems. And so the focus should never be on stopping all problems. And this is where the, the book and I think the message that Mark Ma- of Mark Manson really, the foundation of it is. It's, it's that we are in life, the purpose should be to find better problems. Yep. It should never be to end all problems, which is kind of the focus I think most people get when they get into the self-improvement world. They, yep. want, they, they have the idea, even if they don't admit it, that someday you will be enlightened yeah, that and there will be, be no perfect. pain. And you yeah. see a lot even in you know, politics, I'm not going to get into it, but a lot of now the, the big people are like, oh, I'm triggered and all that. It comes from an idea that the world can be perfect, that can, a world where you never get offended and no one gets offended mm-hmm. can exist. And most, most likely than not, it cannot exist. And if you believe it exists and you, you crave that so much, then you, you end up with a fucking dictatorship mm-hmm. where human lives can be sacrificed for the sake of that perfect world. I feel like a, a much more realistic and much healthier perspective is, like you said, we're always going to have problems. The world's always going to be a bit fucked up. But we can do the best we can with that. We're not going to solve this all. It's, it, and also, like, when the thing, like, uh, the non-violence, you know, is a much, you know, broader term. It's like, because we're, like, it's, we're trying to find the same problems where they don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to search for better problems, we're still trying to find the old problems and new shit. Like, somebody calling you an offensive word is not violence. Yeah. It just isn't. The, yeah. That's not the definition yeah, just, of it. Yeah, he describes it very good in the book, which is like your mind just amplifies or diminishes, or diminishes the experience yeah. to accommodate to the, to the degree, degree of, of what your mind wants to feel. So if you want to be offended, you will always find ways of being offended at yeah, something. Yeah, maybe the guy looked at you funny. Like, yeah, it's like, how dare you? You offended me. I, I see that a lot, especially in women, I think. They have not to be like... Not, it's just a, a funny thing. You misogynist. Yeah, misogynistic piece of shit. No, it, it's like... Maybe they they are the, at least at the ones of my my female friends when I see them that I was like did that guy just look at me funny or is that girl looking at me and I'm like they talk about that I'm like what are you talking about no one cares no about one you. cares <laughs> and I'm like they, they're like where are, where are all these guys looking I, I see nothing yeah why, why why do you come up with these things or how do you even and I, it's but it's that they want they have an, ex- an expectation in their mind and lots of times it comes from insecurity so the, maybe they feel bad about themselves or they feel ugly so all of a sudden they perceive as everyone's looking at them yeah, like they're every, ugly everything is a reason to feel more ugly it's like yeah. oh my god they, or this happens a lot like if someone is insecure about something mm-hmm. they hear someone laughing they think like oh my god they're laughing about yeah. me no they're not the, the likelihood of that is like one in a million mm-hmm. and but it's how you perceive if you perceive it's like those guys just told a super funny joke. They're like, holy shit, I want to hear that joke. If your perception, if you, that's what you were expecting to find. Yeah. Instead of, uh, no, if you hear anything, oh, they're talking shit about me. You're like, oh my God, they're yeah. talking bad about me. And it's all, um, and how you shift that perception. First of all, it's just recognizing that. It's mm-hmm. not putting the blame outside. Like someone who's insecure is like, oh, the, why are they laughing at me? It's not like recognizing maybe I'm insecure and yeah. they didn't yeah, give a shit about thinking, me. Why am I so upset if they are laughing yeah. at me? Because if you're really secure in yourself, you wouldn't even feel nothing if they were... Yeah, you'd be like, like do I have like, a bugger in my nose or something? Yeah. <laughs> Get in on the fun. Uh-huh. And, but first, number step number one is like recognizing. Yeah. Which for most people, all of us included, I feel like, it's the hardest part. Because it means recognizing that you were wrong. This feeling was wrong for a long time. Mm-hmm. The feeling of like, oh, they're, the outside world is shit, not me. Yeah. It's coming to terms like, no, maybe I'm, I'm a bit shitty right now. Yeah. Which, you know, the longer it goes, the harder it's going to be. 
it's a conflict of interest between, you know, the meaning you give to your life. That gave me, you know, pardon me, the girl feeling insecure, seeing that, gave meaning because maybe she found meaning in feeling like shit and she was the depressed one, yeah. for example. So yeah, it's the longer it goes on for the harder it's going to be, but number one, recognizing this shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. We, we kind of, I think we just overcomplicate things a, a, a bit a bit, no, but it's too much. <laughs> a little bit. And, and so, this is, this, in this chapter, he also goes back and talks about another experience that they made, which is they gave a, a certain amount of people just some, some couple of questions that they had to ask themselves every hour in the day, which is like, how happy do you feel from a scale of 1 to 10 right now? And what they found was that everyone answered 7 most of the times. <laughs> so people were, were, people were like, you were, we expect people to feel highs and lows, no, most people describe sevens most of the times, and even so, what you get from this is that people are like mildly happy most of the times, mm -hmm. and when you would see like after a cat catastrophic event, so they would go down a bit, like so my mother may maybe like their mother died, so they're like feeling for a two for a, a couple of weeks, but then they came back to seven recently, like yeah. they they bounced back way faster than you would expect. And the same thing with people feeling better, maybe you just have the promotion of your life, they yeah. feel like a nine or a ten for some days. And then go back to seven. And what does this tell, tell, tell us? That it's all in the process. It's not about achieving those goals that make you feel... Those goals are... Okay, it's fucking great when you feel a 10. When you get that goal and you feel amazing for a day. But that goes away really fast. Most of yeah. your life, you're spending in that seven. Yeah. So I think it's making peace that you will be at the seven most of your life. Because what this tells us is that no, no matter how high up or how low, how low it matters a bit, but no matter how, how high up you go, you will always be at a 7. Maybe, yeah. But your scale will just change. Your perception of 7 will change. Yeah. So a 7 for me now is different than a 7 for me a year ago. But the point is, it's still a 7. Yep. And yeah. it will always be a 7. And you, don't, you can't expect it for things to be a 10 all the time. You need to expect that there's the, a baseline of pain, like he says it in the book. There will always be a baseline of pain. And it's not okay to, to escape them. There was a... In psychology, for a couple of decades, they had... Psychologists had the idea that it was all about self-esteem. Yeah. So people just needed to have more self-esteem and it'd be happier. But it, it wasn't true. They were all just kind of... This is where all the, the positivity things start coming up. Just smile more. Start smiling in the mirror and make positive affirmations. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but if I'm a piece of shit, I shouldn't be making positive affirmations. No, you need to address why you feel like you shit. You feel like yeah. shit. Why you think you're a piece of shit. And it's uh, it's going deep into that pain that allows you to to come back to the real world a better person. It's not in yeah, denying it's not it. avoiding. Yeah, it, most of it's just it just which is very hard like to stop it just stopping breathing and going back to the first thing we talked about talking to yourself, mm -hmm. talking to that feeling. Really Give a voice to that feeling. Be like, okay, why are you feeling scared if you're feeling scared right now? Why are you anxious? Mm -hmm. And then you'll get an answer. And then if you go do that talk and kind of negotiate with it, okay, uh, how about this? We're feeling anxious about work. How about we work one hour right now and then we relax? Does that sound fair? Maybe you get like, yeah, that sounds fair. Mm -hmm. And then it means you'll feel much less, an le much less anxious. Yeah. And you're you, like, oh, you okay. are willing to do things. Because yeah. now you've given yourself a realistic expectation of, of what to do. Yep. And that's where I think you... Now, if you just suppress it. it all the time, 
that conversation has not happened. Even if you do the work, all of it, it's still there. Yeah. It's not released. Then you're going to feel anxious about something else. Mm. It's like, oh my God, yeah. I have no dinner for tonight. Oh. And that's where you get the breakdown. Yep. That's where it is. But Absolutely. Reading just a, a quote about this in the book. No matter how much progress is made, no matter how peaceful and comfortable and happy our lives become, the blue dot effect will snap us back to a perception of a certain amount of pain and dissatisfaction. Most people who win millions in the lottery don't end up happier in the long run. On average, they end up feeling the same. People who became paralyzed in freak accidents don't become unhappier, don't become unhappier in the long run. On average, they also end up feeling the same. This is because pain is the experience of life itself. Positive emotions are a temporary removal of pain. Negative emotions are the temporary augmentation of it. To numb, to numb one's pain is to numb all feeling, all emotion. It is to quietly remove oneself from living. I think this this quote really yeah, is powerful. It's powerful because it's a really good way of looking at pain. It, it it's like it, it it talks about it like pain is the experience of life itself. So everything will also will always be pain, and it's true. Jordan Peterson all, all also talks about this a lot. So he he talks about life being suffering or life being pain. Yeah, and it's true. Everything you do has a, a certain degree of pain attached to it. If, if you're going to the gym, it's the pain uh, of the sweating of yeah, getting worked up. The heavy weights of if if it's go if it's working, it's the, the the pain of being there and exerting yourself mentally. There's always pain, but the pain isn't the bad thing. It's 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 it is the thing yeah. that is and always present. And even if you think about like oh, taking a vacation and just relaxing by the beach, well, then there's the pain of you know you could be working. Yeah. There's always there's all you have to you know, the the there's a scale if you take from one side. You know, you'll notice that mm-hmm. from one side, it's always a, a game of balancing it's stuff. It's a balance. That's why I was, it, I love it so much when he, he talked about positive emotions being the temporary removal of pain yeah. and negative emotions being the temporary augmentation of it. That's all there is. Because there's that, still pain. There's always pain, even in those best moments, a certain degree of it. But you just feel less of it because you're, in a, you're riding a high. And when you're feeling bad, just realizing that, it's also good. It's just like, okay, I'm just temporarily feeling a bit more pain. Mm-hmm. And this will pass. I'll I'll go back to my baseline, and that's just I think that's just a, a really liberating yep. feeling for people who are who are kind of afraid of feeling bad. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, going back to the uh, I talked about this already. The exercise of defining your fears in the worst case scenario and all that, mm-hmm. because a lot of that pain will subside a bit, and you'll also come. You'll be okay with the pain. You'll be okay, like, if it happens, mm. let's say, like, oh, I get fired, and then I sleep under a bridge, and I have to recover from there. Is is it that, really that bad? Is it something you can't come out of? Yeah. Really think about it. Because, first of all, that, that's almost impossible. That's yeah. all, like, clo- as close as impossible. For example, you uh, say no to your boss, and then you, that may happen, that scenario. Mm-hmm. But the likelihood of it is so unlikely... That, first of all, you recognize this as you're thinking about it. Yeah. And then when you say no, you're like, I'm okay with, with what may happen. Mm-hmm. Then you're not as nervous. Then you're not as unconfident, yeah. for lack of a better word. You're like, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Because a... what, what are people afraid of in, in the end? It's death. Death is the yeah. only thing that you're afraid of. If you play that out, yeah. you can kind of put everything into a scenario where you'll die yeah. from doing it. Mm-hmm. That's oh, what, but yeah. that's what scares you. Yeah. That will always be the main reason why you're scared of something. If you leave that trail of breadcrumbs, of fear, yeah. living under the bridge, why are you scared of living under the bridge? Because it, it increases your likelihood of, of dying. dying. Yeah. But it's always the same thing, it's dying. And let's be real, you won't die 
and like in modern society because of most things you, yeah it requires extreme things so it's it's just that's all that's also a good exercise because it just forces you to recognize how kind of irrational sometimes you're being and also kind of to then to a point to kind of be you know okay with dying the dying concept like mm-hmm. the memento mori shit like recognizing you will die well, it is because of that because your life will be impaired like because of it if you if you're always afraid of dying there's that quote um uh if you're afraid to die like you'll never live at all and mm-hmm. it's kind of like that because yeah you can anything that involves a minimal amount of risk could potentially lead you to dying yeah and then guess what that's everything in life yeah but and then if you don't recognize like okay I'll deal with it. I can deal with it. I already played it in my mind. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it, then you're always going to be scared because just imagining, oh, it's going to be good, it's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah, your brain, that's even worse because when, you know, Murphy's Law, some things are going to go wrong. Yeah. When they start happening, you're like, oh my God, my perfect plan is not happening. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm going to die. Yeah. But even yeah. when those moments, like, even in the, like, think about yourself. Think, think back to your life in the moments like, uh, everything went wrong. Did it really yeah. feel that bad? Yeah. It didn't. Was it even, like, a relief that it was yeah. like, oh, it's not yeah. that bad. Huh? Yeah, it's like, okay, this finally happened. Yeah. And you, you don't even feel that bad. Like, in the moment, you feel, like, kind of shitty. But then, like, five minutes after, you're like, woo! It's like a relief. I, the it. best thing, the, the best, I think, the more I, the, 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 the best examples for me are in school. When, when I, like, when it was a deadline for a project. And I yeah. like, the, the rest of the week, I was being anxious about, oh, fuck, I'm not going to be able to finish it. I won't deliver yeah. it. And then the moment came, and I'm like, oh, I didn't do it, teacher. And it was like, it, you're like, oh, okay, that, you can't do that. That's bad. Blah, blah, blah. Just don't you send want, it over next week. Don't you have to have a, be- yeah, a better future? And blah, blah, blah. You can deliver tomorrow with 10, 10 points deducted from it. I'm like, that's it? Yeah. That's it? Yeah. And then at the, I remember, I specifically recalled at the end of it being like, woo, I yeah. feel like the biggest weight's taken yeah. off my back. And that's kind of like, that's life in general. Those bad things, your brain, and this is also a concept talks about in the book. You just kind of have a, a, a psychological mechanism of self-defense, which is like, your brain never lets you like go beyond a, a baseline of sadness in yeah. general. So in those moments, your brain will just shut down and be like, I'm a piece of shit, I won't do nothing. No, that's where you, your brain is like, okay, things are going bad, I can do something to make it better. I can do yeah. this, I can do, you can start brain, brainstorming, solving problems, and you get things done. Yeah. So, even in extreme things, don't be afraid of those extreme things, because even when they happen, it's not that. Absolutely. So, closing this chapter, I'll just read this quote. Living well does not mean avoiding suffering. It means suffering for the right reasons, because if we're going to be forced to suffer by simply existing... We might as well learn how to suffer well. Absolutely. Now it's the last chapter, right? Or no, this is chapter 8. No, the next one. After this? Yeah. Okay. It's the last okay. one. Uh, so let me situate a bit myself. Okay. So in this chapter 8, it's called The Feelings Economy. And in this one, it basically just addresses how marketing, marketing developed um, in the recent world. And how it, kind of, it talks about being one of the most bullshit kind of ways of, of doing things. And in the way kind of... He says its first start was uh, with tobacco. So in the United States, uh, with tobacco, for, for men it was normal to, to smoke. But for mm-hmm. women it was viewed as something bad. We, yeah. Women couldn't uh, smoke. And so this guy from the tobacco company was like, Ah oh, man, why can't we make people's women smoke? We've made so many commercials and things. Yeah. And then this, but then this new guy came in and was like, Because you're not doing it, you're not appealing to their emotions. 
you're trying to explain logical facts. Smoking is good because at the time it was thought that smoking was good for you. So you, they were trying to explain it to logical, like smoking will improve your health, and people don't care about that. Yeah. And so he, he was like, no, we want to, we want to touch their emotions. And at the time, the feminist mov- mov- movement was starting. So the guy was like, what if we associate s- smoking with women empowerment? Yeah. So he, he did this campaign. It, it was like a, a big parade. And at the time, parades were a big thing because there was no TV and nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, like people would go yeah, out people just because would, of it. Like parades were a big deal. And so he, he hired uh, like hundreds of women to like st- sit in a specific like place where lots of visibility and smart, start smoking. And then he made it, it was like a, pro- a protest. Yeah. So he paid these women, these women had no interest in it, they just because they got paid, they smoked there, and it was a big scandal, people were like, oh, and then the feminists at the time were like, yeah, why, why can't we smoke? Yeah. And so <laughs> so the, the smoking became kind of a, a feminist empowered thing, and so, and so that, that just goes to show how marketing can manipulate things, so yeah. they put this emotion behind it, women empowerment was equal to smoking. And so they got smoking to be accepted, accepted in part of culture. The feminists were happy because for them it was a win that women can now do this thing yeah. as, a, as men can. But at the end of the day, it wasn't good for them. And, and, yep. so, and now to this day, that shit still lasts. Yeah, this is how What's marketing your idea works. Feminists, like short hair, piercing and smoking. Yeah. The, the, the cigar is associated with it. Yeah, the, 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 like the, the long cigarette. Yeah, uh, yeah it's still... Perpetuates itself to today, and this is how most marketing works nowadays. They figure it out, and now they appeal to your emotions, and this is where it relates it to. They use people as means to an end. And that's yep. why it will always be something shady. That's why most people, when you talk about marketing with most people, we always get that like kind of disgusting feeling yes, because we we find it. Yeah, it's like it's smart. I acknowledge it's like one of the smartest things men, women, uh, men, men and women can do. It's just manipul- using that manipulation of the human mind to sell stuff. Yep. But at the end of the day, most of it is wrong because they know it's, they're selling products that yeah. um, aren't, really being, being, aren't really good for you. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so, so I think... And so I think um, most people will just benefit... I think from re- realizing how, how this marketing works and just kind of uh, like uh, viewing through the, the, the kind of the bullshit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a bit of an interruption here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I kind of lost my thought. But yeah, like once again, it's because we notice it's not real. Even when you see these commercials, like now they try to be more real. You know, it's like they're trying to sell you their fucking beverage. They're trying to sell them their drink. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, the, you have this like lesbian couple in your commercial. Yeah, because you want to try to sell me some soda. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, woohoo, Coca Cola. Thank yeah, you very the, much. Yeah, the Gillette hat. Same. Yeah, like hat, the same yeah the the biggest we talked about it in one yeah. podcast about it. Say like that. We know you're doing that shit because you're gonna get media coverage. Yeah. And then people are gonna know about you and boom, there you go. Mm-hmm. Same thing when Nike did the copper nickel commercials. The same thing. Yeah. It's like yeah, but yeah, but, but we're trying to sell shoes. We know. Yeah, but the 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 they figure it out now. It's uh, just the the smart thing to do is just, and it's free advertisement. So yep. we, with Nike, with all these things, they didn't have to pay a dollar. I mean, they they paid for the production of the hat, yeah. but then that's it. Then they didn't have to pay TV for things to the get coverage. In the the blogs, and no, like for example, Trump. Same thing. Like yeah, the media covers him and covered him so much because. He was so controversial, mm-hmm. and he played that. Now he's much, much less like that. 
Yeah. But at the time he knew like, okay, if I do this, they're gonna be playing my clip all the time. Yeah. And it's really the more people see me, the more they will trust me. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. That's just kind of that's all, it's it is how, smart how things work. Nowadays. It's smart advertising, but to a point, I feel like you kind of need to. Is this corrupting my my morals? Mm-hmm. Is it you know? And I feel like brands nowadays are kind of shifting more and more away from that. Yeah. They're being more like, when they do commercials, they're like, it's very clear. It's like, oh, this is what we sell, the product, da 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 da. Yeah, they're, they're you're more, still playing to yeah. you, know, you you good selling. Uh huh. But, but you not, you admit it. Yeah. You admit that you're trying to sell something. Yeah. I think that's the important part of the, of the deal. It's just going out right and saying, or making it very obvious that we are selling you something. Yep. And then, but once you start from there, when you start from there, you can like move on to, to, to do your thing. Because yeah, people now like, know, they know what to expect. Yep, it's not like, fuck, there's, those commercials annoy me so much where it's like, for a better future. Ah. Yeah. Then it's like, selling insurance or something. Yeah, or a perfume or like, yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Well, it's like, you can still use all the same aspect yeah but not be political about it that's the most thing it's like because po- political is so emotional you yeah. know more and more people are they shift more towards the extremes mm-hmm. and there's a lot of it like oh the feminists deserve more by i don't know health insurance like it's not related it's, yeah it's like okay like the gillette for example a fucking razor like men be better like yeah you're just shaving what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> You're shaving hairs out of someone's face. If you then say, like, oh, for every Gillette you sell, we're going to help this. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's still... That's you, it. You, you need to be invested in, like, the company isn't doing anything to... Yeah, so, like, oh, we are the moral authority of yeah. this. So, like, the, 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 the company is going to orphanages and teaching kids how to be better. Yes, like, the guys who no. are ordering Gillettes from China, sh- you know, sweatshops close yeah. to it. Yeah, you're, the, you're lecturing me on, on being a better man. Like, bro, come on, yeah. please. Yeah. It's yeah, but it works. And yeah, I think they know that because they, they know yeah, it will get people mad. Exactly. And, and then and then we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it works. That's so it. that's that's it. So going on to the next, the, the the last chapter. I think this one just a quick overview, because it's getting long. But so basically, in, in the last one, he just talks about AI, and and the future of AI and what we with what he, he thinks it it will be, and it just gives like some fun examples of how how it's improving so much. Um, in the near future now it will improve so much but he also has a, a a good view on it which i think like most people when they talk about ai they have those really doomsday kind of mentality you've seen elon musk talk about it which is will be kind of the the AI, we are just hoping the ai overlords won't kill us all and something yeah. but it, mark manson makes the argument of why would they even want to kill us yeah they, they most likely wouldn't even care about us they would just find a it's like they would find a, a way of keeping it, uh, us entertained or most likely if it was programmed for us and for our, our purpose it would just try to help us maybe in ways we couldn't figure out because it would be so advanced yep. but it would still kind of try to guide us and the argument he makes it's like it would be the, our future re- religion it would be algorithms we would just praise the algorithms and he, uh, it would be but it's, the way he explained it makes it possible in your mind yeah. it's like because it would be just like like old religion, so people like, oh, if I do this specific thing, God will allow you more, more fortune. Yeah, or God it would be the same thing. AI. It would be like, oh, if I wear this specific coat on this day, the algorithm will favor me. Because we are just humans. We, we love setting up connections, but yeah. there are none. Yeah. And so we would just do that. It's just like a, a funny way of ending the book, I guess. Yeah, and uh, there's also a good show on this. Uh, love, live, ro- what? Love, death, and robots. Yeah. Uh, love, there- sex, and robots. Yeah, love, sex, and robots. Uh, 
Yeah. No, isn't love, death, and religion? No, it's love, sex, and robots. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a, an episode where it's kind of like this, but it's like a yogurt somehow become like super, like an AI. Yeah. And it's like that, then society becomes super much better and all because of the yogurt. But people, it's like their new god. It's like, yeah, we trust in the yogurt. We trust in the AI. Yeah. And with, without realizing that, like, at the end of the episode, the yogurt just goes into space and, like, we don't give a shit about you anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like that because if the this thing has the, those capabilities, it's like, why yeah. would they... It's like us. Do we really care about monkeys, for example? It's like, we put them in a zoo. Do whatever you want. Uh-huh. It, we're not like, how we, we conquer the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> we don't give a shit. We're smarter than the monkeys. <laughs> yeah. They don't even realize they're trapped. Uh-huh. It would, I feel like it'd be yeah, it would be the same thing. It's like we think, like, oh, we're so smart. We use. They're like, no, bro, we're conquering the galaxy on the other side. Yeah, it's kind of a matrix kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's kind of like it. You're just like, oh, we live in super good, but no, then the machines are feeding off of you. Yeah, or they, they don't even care. They're yeah. feeding off of you. They don't give a shit about you. You just fuel for what yeah. you want. Yeah. it's like oh, the humans, whatever. Mm-hmm. Be, it's all the matrix. Probably that. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's like you're still entertained. You don't give a shit if you're like if we are in the matrix right now. You really give a shit? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do you, are you gonna be like awake at night? Unless you're like super intelligent, like Elon Musk or something, which yeah. I bet this shit has kept him awake at night. Yeah. You're just like, eh, maybe I am, but you know, steak tastes pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I have goals. Yeah, just like the guy in the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, most of us. Even the guy in the Matrix, he, knowing that was fake, he's still opted yeah. for it. We're human, we're dumb as fuck. Yeah, you know? Yeah, we like to think of us like the, as the superior species, but there's like a lot of faults that we don't want to admit. And at the end of the day, that's just, I think what AI would just, would, yeah, just develop to a certain point that we, it wouldn't even care about us. But it's funny to think that if it gets to that point, we still created it. So we, the dumb, guy, we, the dumb guys, created like the most intelligent thing yep. in the universe, which is kind of, it's strange. Like yeah, we, we, created, we created like the new gods. We created something... It's so above you. Yeah, it's strange to think how we could do it's that. It's like yeah, baby, you create the baby, then it's gonna grow by itself. Yeah, much better than you are. Uh huh. It's kind of like because like you can't build AI how it would be if it, it evolved by itself. But you can create the the beginning. Yeah, like you the can, egg. That's yeah, you can create the beginning, and then AI itself will create the rest. Yeah, man, but but it's scary because it can go. You know, can be like that, or AI could also be like, no, we're gonna dominate humans. Yeah, could be like some Thanos shit. Like, oh, no, I'm gonna conquer the yeah. universe. It could also be like, imagine if you program AI with the the goal of making things as better as possible. Imagine that it runs all the possibilities, and the possibility is that okay, things for be, for things to be better, humans have to die. And then, and, but it's not like evil or anything. It's just doing what it's programmed f- yeah. for. It's like okay, they almost yeah. die. We then, were gonna shut down everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. It's oh, like, we have all the nuclear codes. <laughs> <laughs> But this, it, it won't be anything evil like the the evil machines. No, it'll be just like yeah, because they wouldn't they would have like this. It's like the same when you see like animals hunting. Mm-hmm. They have no you know empathy. Yeah, they don't give like when a, a tiger is hunting. They don't hunt until the prey is dead. They hunt it until it stops moving, then they start eating. Yeah, even if it's moving, still don't give a shit. They I would be probably the same. Mm-hmm. Like okay, this is the uh, the goal. Is this okay? Humans must die. Humans must die. They're dead. Yeah. But like, okay, what's the yeah, next goal no now? Yeah, no emotion invested. How can we do things better now? Oh, maybe we need more tigers. Yeah. Raise more tigers. <laughs> it's like... Uh-huh. Yeah, it'd be so ahead of us, we wouldn't even understand but it. Yeah, I think... That's the, the closing. That sums it. up the book. Yeah. Once again, it's been a pleasure. This was episode 24, I believe. But don't quote me on that. <laughs> next week, it's going to be a topic to be defined. <laughs> uh, if you'd like, we also have an episode on the first book of Mark Manson. Uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving You a Fuck. 
I, if you're listening to this on the link from our Instagram, you can find it there. Spotify, we're everywhere. We are the AI. We're everywhere. But once again, it's been a pleasure, and I will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.